everybody i am sean graham scott physically distancing as always hello scott you know sean i i do always stay far away from people i try to keep my distance i've been at home all day uh but you know i have been going to work a little bit more lately using the train wearing my mask uh washing my hands very often and it's not the end of the world so uh, everybody uh, stay safe out there. Start wearing your masks if you're having to go out a little more often. Uh, I, I'll say, you know, maybe the mask is a little more inconvenient for me because of my beard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I get a dent. I think I've mentioned that before. Uh, but you know what? Small price to pay. Yeah, you look stupid for a little bit. Probably not that much different than usual, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, certainly a big week here uh, in in. Ottawa and across the country that uh, a lot of kids heading back to school this week. Um, you know, teachers are there getting things set up some places, certainly in Western Quebec. So very local to us, Scott, uh, at least the English boards are back in school. So uh, big, big uh, changes coming in people's daily schedules and just, yeah, everyone, uh, you know, stay safe, uh, wear the masks, do the hand washing, everything. And hopefully we can all get through this together. Yeah, uh, we could do a whole podcast on that, but we won't because nominally this is a curling podcast. Yes, and uh, this episode, though, nominally is about COVID-19 as this week the World Curling Federation did come out with a pretty major announcement that we wanted to go through and break down what the announcement is, the ramifications are for not just this season, but next year as well and then there's one pressing question that i really want asked that nobody as far as i can tell on curling twitter is asking so we'll save that for a little later uh just the the one question that i can't find an answer to so uh, the big announcement let's get right into it is that the world curling federation did cancel all qualifying events for the 2021 world championships so this includes the Pacific Asia Curling Championship, the European Curling Championship, the America's Challenge, the World Qualification Event, and they also added the World Junior B Curling Championship to this list of cancellations. But those first four that are the direct qualifiers for the World Championship that were canceled. So what this means is that there will be no new qualifications for the world. They did announce a new format, or not a new format, they did announce a new world championship qualification process. So mm-hmm. how it's going to go is that the America zone gets two spots, the European zone gets eight spots, the Pacific Asian zone gets two spots, and then the final entry is based off of the highest member association in the world rankings who had not qualified based on those previous ones. So in the European zone and the Pacific Asia zone, the qualifying spots are going to the 
teams that qualified from last year's Euro and Pacific Asia Championship. Mm -hmm. So those teams that were locked in, set to go, they'll still be going in the America zone. It doesn't really matter whether you do it world rankings or last year because it's Canada and the United States regardless. Mm -hmm. So that's fine. And then without there being the final qualification event, the decision was made to give the final spot to whoever is ranked highest in those world rankings, who is not in the field. So Scott, what is your initial takeaway from the announcement? And what do you think about this qualification process? Well, we touched on this a little bit on Monday on our uh, chat with rocks across the pond and it's sort of what needed to happen Uh, without a world championship last year with ongoing safety concerns and travel restrictions, probably more importantly, is is the travel restrictions uh, in place that there's no way you're going to be able to get all of these countries to come together in a certain place for a curling event. Certainly, the teams that are nationally funded and sort of full-time professional curlers could probably be able to go to a place and isolate for 14 days and make sure that sort of create a curling bubble. But that that throws out a lot of the teams which are self-funded or funded in part, you know, uh, sponsorships or, or whatnot. So this kind of needed to happen. It kind of, I'll say it's not unfair unless you're the Italian women's team who yeah. had earned a place through the qualifying uh, event last year and now will not uh, as Korea will take that place because they're higher in the rankings. So if you're the Italian women's team, you think, man, this really isn't fair. If you're uh, the rest of the world, it's kind of, it's kind of like pressing reset and redoing the 2020 world championships. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the Italian thing. This is the one that I can't figure out the answer to. I think this is a, I mean, it's, it's hard to say that it's a scandal, but this doesn't make any sense to me as to why the Italian women get bumped. Cause, and they're not getting bumped for Korea uh, based on the 2020 field. Korea was in the 2020 field. The team that they're getting bumped for is Estonia. If you look at the 2020 field to the 2021 field, so the decision of going with rankings puts in Estonia ahead of the Italians. And if I'm the Italian Curling Federation, I'm kind of furious because the offshoot of this is now that the world championship is an Olympic qualifier. Like it's all well and good. We'll have a world champion. Hooray for that. But the primary purpose of the event and the reason the world curling federation is going to want to hold it is for the olympic qualification so italy now gets one fewer opportunity for their women to qualify they would have had the chance at the 2021 world championship if you just reset the field and move forward but now they're only going to have the one chance at that last chance qualifier that presumably would be held in the fall of 2021 this strikes me as just incredibly unfair to this member association and to the the players themselves who went out and qualified for this event. And due to circumstances beyond their control, they didn't get a chance to participate in 2020, obviously, where points would have, any points earned would have gone to that Olympic qualification. This, it just Mm -hmm. strikes me as so unfair. And 
it's it's i'm sure the estonians are happy i just don't understand that side of it yeah so i from what i gather estonia was awarded the spot based on finishing higher at euros than italy in 2019 uh, because originally right. there was there was seven spots allocated to the euros and under these new rules there's eight uh yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, if I'm the Italian Association, I've got a real beef. Uh, maybe I use that uh, to to try and get a hosting uh, arrangement for some of the next couple of years. It's not a lot of solace to the team. No, but but my guess is there's there's got to be some sort of quid pro quo in here for that because. Otherwise, then yeah, it's just blatantly unfair. And it's not like Estonia is going to win the world championship. All due respect, right? So it's unlikely. It, so uh, there's no real, like to me, there's not a lot of, oh, well, we had to give Estonia the shot because, you know, they had a couple bad years and they're still likely to qualify for the Olympics. Like that's right. not true. Yeah, so I mean, you know, let's get the hashtag free Veronica Zapone trending on Twitter <laughs> and you know, let the women play. Even if you wanted to do something like have Italy and Estonia play off in February or something. Sure, you could do like that. that. You could that just, would you know, that would be more fair. You know what? You could just add another team to the world championships. It's already oh God, no, don't do it's that. already there's, there's too many. Oh, I know it's already too many, but Add another team, split them into pools, uh, have a championship pool, and play a full consolation pool uh, to iron out the finishing standings for points and be done with it. Yeah, you could do something like that. So it, it just, yeah, it strikes me as very unfair. You don't have anything like that on the men's side. The field is unchanged based off of the new qualification process for 2021. The final position based on the world rankings goes to Russia in this case, but the 13 teams that have qualified under this format are the same that would have been participating over in Scotland earlier this year. So no harm done there. Certainly the makeup of a couple of the teams representing these countries might be different. Canada has yet to announce uh, what their plans are for representing the country moving forward this season. It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, given that it is Brad Gushu who does seem to have a lot of sway with curling Canada, you do wonder if they might put something in place for this season to account for the fact that that team didn't have an opportunity to play in a world championship to give them some sort of an advantage, maybe not at, at the briar, but maybe to say whoever wins the, they'll go play the briar and then say, whoever wins the briar, we're going to do like a best two out of three to figure out who goes to the world championship or something who knows what they'll end up deciding to do for that or maybe brad goose will just say no like we missed it and that's fine yeah sean my my guess and i don't know if you want to get into this yet but i i can't see the briar and scotty's running this year given the state of the world and the easy easy thing to do curling canada's perspective is to just you know anderson and gushu you're you're the champions again run it back it i mean like it's a similar position uh travel wise even within canada right you've got teams like team pi for example or uh new brunswick they're not professional curlers they don't have 
the ability to take, you know, four weeks off of work to go and isolate, maybe curl for like four days and then isolate on the backside. It, it just is impossible. And until the rules around traveling are loosened due to either, you know, having an effective treatment or an effective vaccine that there's no way to run a national championship. No, I I think the other factor involved in that is the expense of running an event in this climate, in this situation. If you want to create a, a pseudo bubble of sorts in Thunder Bay for the Scotties, and mm-hmm. where where's the where was the briar supposed to be? I can't remember. Kelowna. But, uh, in Kelowna for the briar. If you want it, you you could set up bubbles similar to what we've seen in the NHL. The issue there is the expense involved to have everybody there for extra uh, for an extra amount of time, a longer time. Uh, the testing that would go into that, you wouldn't need as many volunteers. You would need some volunteers. Uh, those be willing to go into a bubble who are volunteering and then the thing that i i think maybe more so than anything else is the briar and the scotties make money for curling canada they are profitable enterprises for them but if you had to run them in empty buildings they won't be so yeah will curling canada want to take a loss on these two signature events i don't know uh, especially given that they would have cover from the World Curling Federation who has canceled all these other events around the world. Certain national organizations or, or national federations have also canceled their championships. So you have cover there. So maybe they get to the point where, yeah, we'll just say we're going to run these two teams back uh, and, and go to the 2021 world championships that way. The, the question I would have is not so much on the men's side is on the women's side that Carrie Anderson and that team spectacular two seasons together. There, there's no question about that, but we have seen teams struggle the first time that they've represented Canada at international competitions. Is there some hesitation within curling Canada, given how important it is that the team make the playoffs at the world championship would there be some hesitation to just say to them, okay, go like you're, you're going to be our representative, our Olympic, our initial chances to make it into the Olympics. We're comfortable riding with you personally. I'm okay with that. I, I think they're good enough in the field. If you go back to our preview of the field as it was mm-hmm. in the spring, I, I, I mean, obviously there's a chance they could miss the playoffs. I think, their top end in the field. So I I don't think there's much risk of it, but I do wonder if that's a conversation that the higher ups at curling Canada would have. Yeah, that, that they could have that conversation. Uh, one way to maybe duck around it would be instead of hosting a separate briar and a separate Scotties, you run the Canada cup in the first week of March and the winners from that could, if they're not, Gushu or Anderson, you could have them face uh, Gushu or Anderson for the right to right. go to the Worlds. And because that way you might get a little more of the the quote-unquote hot team at the time uh, running sure. a bubble for a, an event that's in one place is a lot easier. It's a shorter event. It's only five days. That's, that's what I think the alternative is. Right. Uh, the problem is, does it set a precedent for 
that being the standard going forward, I would hope not. And I think curling Canada knows, you know, it, it's not, uh, it, it knows the golden goose, right? The golden goose is the Scotties and the Briar. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But you, you raise an interesting point about when we get to the spring, sort of the, who's the hot team at the time. Cause that's kind of important going mm-hmm. into the world championship and kind of how the curling Canada model has worked that you want teams that are playing well in that, in that spring time of the, the season. And you look at Brad Gushu, who's he going to play? <laughs> like, yeah. like, like they, they are going to have a difficult time getting top level games. I'm sure he's texting back and forth with Greg Smith a lot uh, to get some games at the Remax center or whatever it's called out there. But, uh, and I'm sure Corab is on, uh, you know, speed dial as well to get some, some high level competition, but you know, that that's going to be a struggle for them. Whereas Anderson has a little more opportunity to, to practice and also practice together, right? There's yeah. the, the geographic limitations of where team Gushu lives uh, and, and Carrie Anderson and her squad a little closer together. And they'll be able to get some games uh, in curling clubs against some high level competition, It'll be a bit more of a struggle for Gushu, but again, they're good enough and they've played together long enough. I don't think it's a major problem. No, not a major problem. So uh, with the, the total weight of all of these cancellations happening at once, I think we've, we've talked the world's side through. Uh, what do you think the impact is of the, the junior B's being canceled and also the wheelchair mixed doubles? Is that what it's called? It's a, a new yeah, trial format. of that. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think the impact of those ones are? So the world junior B one is interesting just in that, again, this, that's an event that is part of the world curling federations attempts to continue to grow the sport, have teams that aren't at the level of the world curling world junior curling championship, give them a place to play competitive games. Everyone improves having that event canceled. That I think is a, a pretty big hit. Uh, very it's disappointing certainly that that one's not going to run um the similarly with the world b curling uh wheelchair curling championship mm-hmm. you know i again i get it that similar to what we what we just talked about that you need to have the world wheelchair curling championship for olympic qualification purposes but to cancel the b that just it, it does send i think the an unintended message of unless you're participating for the Olympics, you don't really matter to us as much. Mm. And that, that certainly is unfortunate. I would love to see the wheelchair mixed doubles as well. I love that they're implementing that as a trial event. I'm sure that is part of world, a world curling federation push to have that as a second curling discipline in the Paralympics moving forward. So uh, that obviously then if they can't run it this year, that's going to be off the table for 2020. It would have already been off the table for 2022, but having it delayed by another year, that even makes 2026 potentially more challenging. So that's a bit of a bummer on, on that side. So hopefully, uh, hopefully they can run it. Hopefully it goes well uh, and you get a second curling discipline in the Paralympics. Yeah. It'd be great to see more, uh, more curling in the Paralympics. Uh, the, the, the junior B I'm, I'm really torn on junior curling uh, for right now. Cause, because it's an age limit thing, right? 
And you've got athletes who have maybe been working for four, five, six, seven years, I don't know, maybe more, trying to get to either their national junior championship or to the world junior championship. And they're running out of time, yeah. right? I, it, I find that it's really disheartening when, you know, like, sorry, now you're not a junior anymore. Like, we're not funding anything. Go play men's on your own. Like, what? Right. Right? So I I hope that the rules couldn't be amended to extend uh, junior age just for the next year, uh, maybe to, to, you know, allow these athletes the chance to go to a world championship that they weren't afforded through no fault of their own. Yeah. And, and it's something we talked about with the mixed world championships as well, that for some of these players, this would be their only chance to represent their country at a major international mm-hmm. event. So especially when you're looking at a junior B event, you know, some of those people aren't going to continue to play competitively once they, yeah. uh, once they, age out they, they'll probably still play hopefully they would still play but you know as people go to school start careers you know have families do do those grown-up things currently competitively for some of these people will fall off the the list of priorities and it's cool to have that opportunity to represent your country in this type of in this type of event so that that is a bummer um you know at the same time in terms of extending the age limits it's hard to do that temporarily because then the people who are coming in behind the people who are 17 or 18 right now, they could suffer from those people not aging out. And then by the time they age out, we're saying, well, we're going back to like, you know, it's sort of this perpetual hamster wheel of of that. So it's, it's a tough situation. It's one of those ones that I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. It's just unfortunate for everybody involved. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So the, the other thing I just wanted to say too, in terms of, all of the, the, the wheelchair world championship, the world junior curling championship, and the men's and women's world uh, curling championships. Obviously, out of those ones, the world junior championship isn't as important to the World Curling Federation as the men's and women's and the wheelchair because those are directly linked to the Olympic qualification. But Scott, if we get to the point where we can't have any national championships, whether it's in Canada or elsewhere, and we can't have even regional events once we get into the spring. Like, like if we get to the point where provincial championships can't happen, a Briar and a Scotties can't happen, there's no way a world championship is going to happen. So, you know, all the all the things that could prevent a Briar and a Scotties and uh, from happening, that cuts off the world championship as well. So. This may be a little too far looking ahead. I, but... Sean, I might, I might disagree with, with that, but go ahead and say what you're going to say. So I think we should start to think about the possibility of the 2021 World Curling Championship being a fall event leading yeah. into the Olympics, like an October-ish type event. And then the Olympic qualifier then happens in mid to late November. I think that is something that is going to be on the table, but why don't you think that like, if we can't have a briar, like if people can't go from Newfoundland to British Columbia, why can they go? Why would people be able to go from the other side of the world to Ottawa? So uh, the issue is not with the getting there. The issue is with the 
isolation time, the creation of a bubble. Uh, anybody can really travel anywhere right now. Like I could hop on a plane tomorrow and go to the US. The, right. the border isn't closed. The land border is what's closed. Uh, so I could do that. The rules would say when I arrive, I have to isolate for whatever it is in different places, right? Seven, 10, 14 days. We've seen them all. When you have the briar and you don't know, you're a team like a Team Smith from Newfoundland or, uh, you know, Eddie McKenzie in PEI, is it worth it to you to travel to a place, probably on your own dime, isolate there for 14 days, play maybe five days of curling, I guess at, at least five days of curling, and then turn around, go home and have to isolate again? The reason I don't think it can be done in Canada is because there's the way that the Briar and Scotties is, which is a format that we like, not all teams are equal financially. And there's no real way to bridge the gap, in my opinion, between the teams that are able to do those kinds of things and the teams that aren't. When it comes to a world championship, almost all, if not all of those teams are funded by their national federation. A lot of them are professional curlers now. You know, we don't see a lot of teams that are, uh, that are you know, oh, I'm a pharmacist and I curl at night and I go to the world championships. Uh, it, increasingly, it's professional. For sure, the Asian teams, likely whoever the Canadian team is, the U.S. team too, uh, and, and to be honest, most of the European teams. So, when it comes to, okay, you've got to come to Ottawa, you've got to isolate for 14 days, they're able to do it because their associations will eat the cost if the result is the chance to get to the Olympics. So maybe you don't think so? I think it's I, like I, a, I think a no there brainer. would be a lot of reluctance. You would also need to have uh, local, in the case of the men's, local, provincial, and federal government be okay with this as well. And we have seen uh, a hesitation from various levels of government to approve these sorts of things. Well, so so the Blue Jays is totally different, right? It's a bunch of teams coming in and out. They approved the bubble in Toronto and Edmonton for the hockey. I, I think it's definitely doable here in Ottawa. Uh, There's very few cases here with the proper isolation and, and restrictions, it, it like really shouldn't be a problem for anybody. No, I, I think you can do it, right? I, I think practically, yes. Like, can you do it? Yes. I'm, I, I think they probably could have just run the 2021 since everybody was already there in the spring for the women, right? Like, just don't let anybody get in from from the outside right so just set up this little bubble that you are again you already have everybody there and you could run it so i I think the practicality of running an event in a bubble is is doable uh the men's side in ottawa my question would be where would they stay and getting back and forth from the hotel to the arena um could be Mm -hmm. an issue potentially but in general yeah it's easy enough to to set it up once you have it set up but you're as you said you're looking at a month of total isolation time, two weeks coming in, two weeks going out. And a lot of the national associations are going to be struggling financially 
based off of decreased revenues for the season. And there are going to be players who are going to chafe at the idea of it for sure. There are going to be players who are, will opt out for a variety of reasons um, and, and will not want to participate. So that, and that's something we haven't heard any players openly talk about yet, but certainly just from just statistically, there are going to be people who are at higher risks uh, and, and certainly all the, the people who have young children and you know, or elderly parents, whatever it is, there are going to be people who don't want to participate. So I don't think it's, it's as straightforward as just fly everybody to where the event is, stick them in a room, a hotel room for two weeks, and then set up a bubble, play the event. I think there's a lot more layers to it. And I, I think just the logistics of it are going to be really difficult. Plus, if we're at a point in the spring where say the Oxford vaccine has proven to be somewhat successful in initial trials and they're ramping up production or something. It doesn't hurt to hold the event in the fall. Like there, there's no real necessary downside to it, given that we won't really have had a full season this year anyway. So I, I don't see the, the push to play it in the spring if there are enough hurdles that have to be jumped by the world curling federation and by the players themselves so i guess sure there will be some players that uh, opt out Uh, i would argue the majority of the athletes that we saw opt out especially in baseball are ones who have made their money and aren't going to be hurting in any way so in that sense anna hasselberg just had a baby you know, she's won an Olympic gold medal. There's no threat to their team from Sweden, like from getting to the Olympics. So maybe they say, okay, we'll sit at the Worlds. We'll go play in the, the qualification event that you're going to have in November and we'll win it and we'll go to the Olympics. Sure, maybe that happens. But for a lot of these athletes, you know, like, like Carrie Anderson, it's their first chance to play in a world championship. I think that they would be pretty okay flying to Switzerland and, you know, isolating in a town in the mountains for, for two weeks. Like, so. I mean, maybe, but again, Carrie Anderson has a job, right? Like what's Carrie Anderson's job. She's a nurse. She's a frontline worker. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Like she's in the heart of this. Like, you know, so then she needs a vacation, right? (laughs) It's, it's something that I think I, I don't see as many hurdles as you do. And I'm interested to hear what other people think. Who Whose side are you on? Yeah. Scott, Spring Worlds, let's do it. Or Sean, the pessimistic, uh, really gloomy Gus who says, do it in the fall. That's when the leaves are turning. It'll be so much nicer. Well, the fall is the best <laughs> season. There's, yeah, there's no I mean, question about that. Yeah, it goes without saying it's the best season. So throw in a world curling championship and I am all in for that. Yeah. Unless it interferes with uh, playoff baseball in October, but otherwise <laughs> we're good. Yeah. Uh, and let me just uh, correct myself. Uh, she's not a nurse. She is a rehabilitation assistant in a long-term care facility out there in Gimli. All right. So. I, that explains my incredulity then. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so let, let us know what you think. Um, but the, the key for right now is 
those events in the fall. The World Curling Federation qualification events will not take place uh, this year. So that means, in addition to the world qualification stuff, nothing to watch for that fun week in the fall where the Euros is going on. Uh, mm-hmm. And then nothing to try to stay up really late and watch the week where the Pacific Asia Championship is going on as well. I guess we could just uh, watch old events on World Curling's YouTube. Yes, which is what we've been doing all summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So let us know what you think about this. But we just wanted to come on, do a bit of a, an update about what's going on. Uh, we're releasing this, of course, and recording this on Wednesday, September the 2nd. If you're listening to this before the, the weekend, do pay attention to the World Curling Federation Twitter account. We'll be retweeting and, and updating as well. But they have their General Assembly this week and uh, big day on Saturday. They're going to vote on a bunch of different proposals. So we'll see what comes out of that. I don't expect anything major to drop necessarily, but the big one to keep an eye on would be the intercontinental or transcontinental championship idea that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And then the big one in terms of just for the drama of it, uh, the Polish curling federation representation situation mm-hmm. that uh, rocks across the pond has covered so well that that will be voted on this weekend as well. Yeah. And we sort of anticipate them being ejected. Yeah. Yeah. That is what is expected to happen. So uh, so definitely keep an eye on all the news and views out of the World Curling Federation because, Scott, could be a while before we get any curling action from the World Curling Federation. Yeah, it sure is, sure is. But, you know, uh, it is fall. We did get to watch, uh, was it the uh, Baden Masters this weekend yeah. uh, on YouTube? So. There are some events going on in Europe. Pay attention uh, to Twitter, check YouTube, uh, see what's on. Because if you're really needing a curling fix, there are some things out there. Absolutely. So uh, Nick Adine won on the men's side, beat uh, Jop Van Dorp 9-1 in the final. And uh, who won on the women's side? Uh, this weekend was just men. Oh, it was just the men. No yeah. women. It was... Elena, oh, I'm blanking on her last name. The the Swiss. Stern? Yes, Elena, Elena Stern, Stern uh, won the women's event last two weeks okay. ago, I guess. All right. So, so good stuff there. Uh, it's kind of fun. I didn't watch any of it, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> I didn't watch. I, I, it came across my timeline. I did click on the link for the final. When I woke up on Sunday, mm-hmm. it said, oh, the final's live. And I clicked on it and uh, it was, it, it had gone final already. It was 9-1, yeah, total shot. blowout, five ends. I did the same thing. I woke up and turned it on and, oh, a shot of the scoreboard. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oof. all right. And they just let it run. I, I assume they just booked a spot for like two hours, two and a half hours and just set up the camera to run that long because they mm-hmm. figured, hey, that's how long a normal curling game is. But it was weird to just have this extended shot of the scoreboard. Yeah, it was uh, it was good, though. <laughs> I, I got the news about who won without having to do secondary research, which, Sean, you know is my, my motto. No secondary research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's uh that's always a win when you don't have to do the secondary stuff hey uh, all right so that'll do it for this week uh, i do want to just do one more quick update as we you know head to our outro though the t-shirts that we have are available on our website over at gamestonespod.com just click on the merch section it'll take you right to the online store uh black red and gray t-shirts are available all the proceeds from the shirts are going to food banks canada scott uh because it was the end of the month i oh, yes went in and uh made another donation to food banks canada uh, 200 more dollars to food banks canada so thanks to everybody for supporting us in that endeavor hopefully you enjoyed the shirts that you've ordered and uh i i like i think they're pretty comfortable i've i've pretty much transitioned to a an all game of stones podcast t-shirt <laughs> wardrobe over the past few weeks yeah i wore mine uh my red one yesterday it was pretty good and then uh i wore another one uh today so there you yeah, go. all over uh the game of stones shirts pretty comfy yeah so definitely head over and check those out uh, and as we always say if you don't want a shirt and want to donate to food banks canada or to the, your local food bank you're not going to get any argument from us uh but if you want a t-shirt head on over to game of and as always not only are all the proceeds going to food banks canada we're matching it as well so if you buy a shirt it's like double donation yeah double so, donation yeah so there you go so uh so we'll keep doing that as we move forward and of course if you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show wherever it is you get your podcasts, uh, iTunes or Google, all that stuff. Scott, last week for the first time ever, we charted in Japan. Yeah, we're pretty big in Japan. Um, you know, I don't know if everybody knows that about us, but uh, big Japanese following. So happy to be there. And uh, if you're in Japan and you want to write us an email, give us a show suggestion. We're all ears. Yeah, I will say we dropped off the Japanese chart this week. Well, you know, Sean, it comes and goes. Well, I, I, it's not surprising given that the, the, the episode or the, the episode we released the week we dropped off the Japanese chart was all about the National Film Board of Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you know, you get hits and you get misses when it comes to your Japanese audience. Yeah, but hey, maybe, you know, if we ever do a live show, I vote for Tokyo as the first one. Yeah, I, I'm uh, into it. Yeah, so uh, please do subscribe wherever, though, you do get your shows. Give us the likes, the ratings, all that kind of stuff. Keeps the show going and helps us chart in countries that we've never charted in before. Mm-hmm. So uh, always exciting for us there. And, of course, you can follow along with everything going on on Twitter and Instagram at Game of Stones Pod. You can find Scott at Scott Likes TV. I am at the Sean Graham. Tomorrow afternoon, as we record and release this, so Thursday, September the 3rd, at three o'clock Eastern time, I'm going to be doing a live uh, talk with uh, a f- professor from Saint FX about the, the the interconnections or the intersections of race, sports, and politics. So I'll be tweeting out all the links to those for tomorrow afternoon. We're going to drop the audio as part of this podcast. I think next week, uh, and it's also in collaboration with Active History and the History Slam podcast as well. So uh, if you want to check that out live, please do tomorrow afternoon, 3 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Atlantic time, 4.30 out in Newfoundland. <laughs> of course. 2, two Central. 
one mountain. Keep going. Noon, noon Pacific. <laughs> 9 a.m. if you're in Hawaii. What about Alaska, Sean? Any, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're elsewhere in the world, uh, 3 o'clock Eastern time, whatever that is for you. It's going to be 5 o'clock somewhere. So definitely check that out. Uh, very much looking forward to that one. It's going to be the first in a series of discussions that uh, that I'm going to do uh, as part of looking at uh, you know the role sport plays in culture, politics, um, representation, uh, a lot of the issues that we've been talking about on the show, uh, but just broadly over the course of the summer. So that'll be the first in a series of that. So definitely check us out tomorrow afternoon over on Facebook Live. So uh, we'll be back with everybody next week. But until then, enjoy your long weekend. Keep your brooms on the ice. And don't dump that intern. Make the final.